0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 26 of the Rugby Strength Coach podcast. This is Keir from Rugby Strength Coach. Today's guest is Martin Bingesser of HammerMedia.com. For those of you who are not familiar with Martin, he is a national level hammer thrower for the Swiss national team. He's also the national team coach. He's also the founder of HammerMedia.com. That is the internet's leading website on the strength and conditioning and coaching of the throws in track and field. Uh, but even if you're not a track and field guy or a track and field strength and conditioning coach, I think you should check it out. The concepts that Martin talks about in his website, his experiences of working under Anatoly Bondichuk, who we'll talk about in this podcast. Also, the information that he shares through his podcast and interviews and articles with other coaches like Dan Path, Vern Gambetta. There's a ton of information out there that strength coaches and coaches from any sport will be able to benefit from. So I recommend you you check out that website. Now, for those of you who would like to learn from Martin in person, he's asked me to let you know about a couple of dates that are coming up. On May the 14th, he's going to be in Limerick, Ireland with John Keely, and he's going to be hosting a seminar on periodization and performance factors. Uh, and also on June the 11th, he's going to be in Hartbury in West England, focusing more on the developing athlete and long-term planning. You can get details on how to register for both of these seminars at hammermedia.com slash classroom. Hammermedia is spelled H-M-M-R-media.com. And uh, also you can check Martin out on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, if you search for Hammer Media or Bingissa. Now remember, if you like this content and you would like to get really into depth with the concepts discussed in this podcast and other episodes of the Rugby Strength Coach podcast, you can check out the webinar presentations that we host inside the Rugby Strength Coach community. This is an exclusive members only forum where each month we share a webinar presentation from a strength and conditioning coach working within elite level sport. Not only that, but you get access to the discussion forum where over 200 members discuss all things to do with strength and conditioning. They share ideas, they share resources. And also, if you are a developing strength and conditioning coach, you'll be able to ask myself and other members for career advice uh, and tips on climbing the career ladder. If that sounds good to you, you can check it out at rugbystrengthcoach.com members. If you would like to try the website for just 24 hours, you can use the code word TRIAL at the checkout. If you like it, keep it. If you don't, send it right back. And uh, without further ado, enjoy this episode with Martin Bingissa, and I'll speak to you soon.
1: Martin, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me on.
0: Mate, I appreciate you, uh, you coming on. I've um, been, a, been a big fan of the stuff that you put out for, for quite some time now. Um, but for, for people who've, who've not heard of you before, could you give them a little bit of, of background about you as an, an
1: athlete, as a coach? Yeah, I'm coming from the world of a track and field, so I'm, my background is in hammer throwing uh, or in throwing events in general, shot put, discus, javelin, hammer. I'm um, American by birth, and my family is Swiss, so I compete for the Swiss National. Martin, How's it going? Doing well, thanks for having me on.
0: Mate, it's it's very good to have you on. Um I've followed you for quite some time. Big fan of the stuff that you put out. Um, but you know, for people who've not heard of you before, can you give them a bit of background about yourself?
1: Yeah, I come from one of the probably the most obscure sports in in the world, and that's hammer throwing. So I've been throwing hammer for fifteen or sixteen, seventeen years myself, I guess it is now. Mostly just doing it as a hobby now, but um, I started as a hammer thrower in the U.S. Um, my family's Swiss, so I've come over to Switzerland and competed for their national team. And I'm now the national coach here in Switzerland. And uh, I run, what most people, if you are in rugby and have heard of me, might know of me from my website, which is hammermedia.com, spelled a little bit differently, so media, where I put up a lot of information about training and uh, the site really got popular and got its start because I worked a long time with Anatoly Bondarchuk, who was my coach for, for nine, 10 years, and, and started the site just to kind of write about what I was learning from him, how we were implementing in training, and just trying to bring these ideas a little bit more to the West, and the site's grown from there, and we've got a ton of different coaches contributing now, and trying to create a community of just exchanging ideas. But it, yeah, it all started in the hammer throw, and um, that, that was my first love, and that's still, still where I spend most of my time, is in that world.
0: Uh, is it right you're a lawyer as well?
1: I am hammer throwing coach is not really a profession (laughs) at least here in Switzerland. (laughs) You can't you can't make a living out of very much. So I I work um, you know thirty thirty five hours a week as a lawyer uh, here in Zurich for a bank, and then the rest of my time you know what I can make in that time allows me to have my hobbies on the side. So I train a little bit, I coach, I run the the website, and it gives me the flexibility to pursue all those. Whereas Yeah, I don't have to choose between the two, which is good.
0: Mm. And you still actively competing now as a thrower?
1: Um, Yes and no. So I I competed through the European Championships in 2014 at a higher level, and I was 21st there. So I was a good thrower, but I, I was never at the Olympic level or the real highest level. Um, and, and after that, I've switched my focus more towards coaching. I, I'm still out of the track every day coaching, so I, I get in some workouts on my own. I herniated a disc in my back last year, so I didn't compete as much, and I've just been taking a kind of a long, slow road to to get back in shape. And um, I'm not really pushing things because there's no there's no sense of urgency. I don't. I'm not going to qualify for the Olympics, so I'm not really you know chasing any standards. It's more just to have fun, get out there, and, and do something active. Um, because you know standing on your feet coaching for several hours every day gets gets a little bit old after a while and you just feel like okay I need to move too watching all these people move around <laughs> you so dude it it, it's it, good it good.
0: breaks me at the moment when we do our big rugby sessions because you know when I'm when I'm coaching we because of the way that the our guys work they work in the factory in the day so we train early early morning or we train you know late afternoon and because of that we train all of the guys together so when when I'm coaching it's you're constantly moving, constantly coaching all of the guys working together. But then once we get to rugby, it's basically my job to stand there, make notes, time, and advise the coaches on intensity. But then, you know, once you get to the kind of ninety-minute mark, it's like, ooh, it's tough.
1: Yeah, and I find coaching as bad on my back as training was because you're just you know standing there on your feet the whole time, and I mean it's intense in a different way, I guess.
0: It is, yeah, it is definitely now as um. As an athlete, did you, did you naturally gravitate towards the throws?
1: Yeah, I mean, I started in shot put and discus when I was in school. And I was okay at them. I mean, at a regional level, I was okay. But in the, in the U.S., like, the U.S. is the country for the shot put. If you look at the top 20 in the world, each year 10 or more of them are going to be from the U.S. And, and these guys are beasts. They're, you know, 150 kilos plus. They're, you know six foot four, six foot six, they're just, you know, they, they're they players who could play in the NFL if they wanted to, or they could play, they just, yeah, they have a different level of genetic talent and uh, size and power than I did, and so after looking at that, and, and one of my first coaches, he was also um, a gold medalist in 1956 in the hammer, he, he took me to the side and said, look, you're not going to be this freak, you know, no offense, but yeah. <laughs> maybe you should try the hammer throw, and the, the hammer throw, it's, you need to be talented to be at a top level, but they're it's not necessarily size or strength or speed it's a combination of all of them so if you're you know pretty good at a lot of things, you can be at a higher level and you know you look at the top guys they're they're six one six two hundred kilos one hundred ten kilos they're they're big guys, but they're not you know massive and and to be honest, they're just less people doing the sport so if you put in the time and the effort. Uh, you can rise to the top a bit easier. There's just not that same level of competition. So I, I gravitated towards that when I was 17 or 18, and yeah, fell in love with that and have been doing that ever since.
0: And when was it that you you met Bondarchuk?
1: So I met him in 2005, right after he came to Canada. I'm from Seattle, which is you know right near the border in Northwest uh, United States. Mm-hmm. And he moved to British Columbia, which is you know southwestern Canada, so they were three and a half, four hours apart. And I knew his, uh, Derek Evely, who was the guy who brought him in there, and Dylan Armstrong was a shot putter, used to be a hammer thrower, who they brought him in to coach. And I I knew both of them, and as soon as I heard, he had had moved across the border. I said, when can I come up? And (laughs) I booked a a hotel for two weeks with my coach then, and we we went up, um, did a little training camp with him, and after the training camp, he said, "Well, if you know if you want, I, I can write a training program for you." And I said, "Okay." <laughs> that we'd spent the last with my coach, we'd spent the last year or two trying to create our own version of what we thought he was doing. You know, we re- researched and dissected all the articles. The few articles out there he'd written, uh, came up with a our own plan that we thought he was doing, and we were trying to figure this out. And so, you know, the best way to figure it out is actually just to work with him see how it works and um try it out and that that was 2005 and i worked with him through the european championships 2014 and um most of that long distance a couple of years in there i was actually in canada with him but even then when i was in seattle i would go up and visit him once or twice a week uh during school breaks i'll go up there so it was kind of a combination of in person and long distance and it was a great learning experience
0: i'm sure anyone who's uh tried to read that PDF copy of transfer of training in sport will uh, will relate to that its it 's quite a difficult book to to try and get a, a clear picture from
1: yeah and it's a better translation than some of the other stuff so he he's has a quite a few i mean there there's no shortage of writing now like in two thousand and five he hadn't published any of his stuff in English yet, and you had a couple of articles that yes had translated in the eighties but you didn't really get the context of it, you know. There are two or three pages, and then you're, it leaves more questions than it answers. And you know now, yeah, now he's got a lot more stuff in English, but it's it's still it's a difficult read sometimes, especially without that context. For me now, like I can read those and get so much out of them because I know a little bit of the background knowledge. But um, you know, I always talk to people who read it for the first time, and it's a bit difficult because you don't know always what point of view he's coming from, mm. and and some of the background and. Then where do you start so it's it 's difficult to approach
0: that was you know similar similar vein with uh, Verkashansky that was definitely how how I was with that material you know I'd, I'd picked up special strength training manual for coaches um, the the PDF and then the, the print edition and it wasn 't until I got to meet her through. Jade Mayo and spend, you know, a couple of days in a room with her, with her explaining and putting everything into context. And it was literally like sitting there and having an, an aha moment and being like, oh, this is how everything fits together. And it, it wasn't until I'd done that that I think I really got the full benefit out of, out of a book like that.
1: Yeah, I think with, with Bonnerchuk, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a little bit, uh, most of the key concepts are are pretty simple things. I mean, the, what makes it difficult to follow is you can combine them in, you know, an infinite number of ways to create different training plans. It's not like there's one template you have. But, you know, the, knowing those simple concepts really help you when you, you start reading the book because then you figure out, okay, well, this is where he's coming from. This is just the general idea behind what he's doing. I mean, transfer training itself, the idea is, okay, you do in training what's going to make you better on the field. I don't think any coach in the world would disagree with that, um, but then you get into the details after that. But I mean, the, the basic concepts are they're really simple things.
0: So, in, in order to to paint a picture about the influence that he's had on your career, can you describe how you were training um, prior to to his involvement in in your career as an athlete?
1: I mean, the, as I said, the, the last year or two before I started work with him, I was actually training pretty similar to what. He was doing, or at least I, what I thought he was doing. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a huge shock when I trained with him. the The difference was I was trying to. Um, we do. A, he does a lot of volume, and I was trying to do all that volume, and then also keep the the standard intensities you would have in a in a typical training program. And I didn't completely overtrain because I was like twenty twenty one years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't getting the results I should have just because I was trying to have high volume and high intensity all the time, which, as you know, is just stupid and it's not going to work. But um, that's what it was. But before that, it was a much more traditional approach. So we would have you know a traditional periodization throughout the year. You know, start with high reps, um, at lower intensity, and just work throughout the year to when you're doing higher, um, higher intensity, lower reps when you're about to peak during the season. And I had decent results with that, but I always felt like it wasn't quite getting the most out of me. I mean, I'm not the guy who's gonna have the the five, six seven hundred pound squat, especially at that age. Mm-hmm. And in that model that that's what it was all aimed for. You gotta hit these target numbers. And I, I looked at them and I'm like, Well, I'm not gonna be able to get those, but I still think I can throw far. I still think like I'm I'm a pretty quick guy, I technically efficient. I, and I have all these other things going for me and it, it, the paths I just didn't see lining up because I, you know I was supposed to fit into this mold which I didn't really fit into and I, I knew there had to be a different way and so that's when I started researching Bonnerchuk because he I mean for those of you guys who don't know his background he's coached you know a, a dozen plus medalists in the hammer throw he's coached the current world record holders had the record for since 86 or so 30 years um he dominated the sport. He was an Olympic gold medalist himself. Um, all his athletes, they swept the podium in 76, 80. 84 was boycotted, but 88 and 92, he swept the podium in the hammer throw. So he just, like, if you were looking to be a good hammer thrower, he's the first person you look to because no one has come near his, his results in the hammer throw and even in other sports. There are a few people that have dominated the same way he has. So I started looking towards him, and it kind of matched with what I th- I thought that other way could be and then seeing his results he got out of that it, it was um i was a pretty easy sell
0: yeah so is it, is it fair to say that you you'd come up within a certain model where it was like well if you if you want to throw this much you need to squat bench clean this much and so on and so on and so on but was it that you had an idea that actually there were other exercises that you saw a stronger relationship between that and and performance in, in your event
1: well, definitely and, I, and part of that was because at the time i mean I, it wasn't a high level throw at the time but i was always throwing better than the people who were stronger than me so i knew that it's not all tied to the strength um i, I was able to get the same results as these other guys who were squatting 100 pounds more than me or cleaning more than me or snatching more than me and, and so i knew there wasn't a, just that one-to-one correlation and, and i'm sure you noticed that too in, in rugby i've heard you mention on your podcast a lot of times you know we we all think okay well if i get stronger i'm going to be better but that's not always the case. I mean, it helps. Strength never really hurts you that much, but um, there are other ways. Especially once you get past an intermediate level and get to an elite level, there are different things you have to look at that are going to transfer more.
0: For sure, and I think you know the development of maximal strength. People kind of say, "Well, how strong is too strong?" And I think too strong is when you you have to dedicate that much training time and effort towards the development of more strength that it comes at the expense of other qualities that underpin your performance in your event.
1: Yeah, it's all, uh, you know, talking about return on investment. You, you only have so much time as an athlete. You only have so much energy. And how are you going to use that energy to the most benefit? And, you know, when you get, when you're already very strong in the first place, you know, it's going to take a lot more energy just to get that extra five or ten pounds in your, in your lifts. So that's one thing is it's going to just take so much effort to get that marginal gain. But on the other hand, you have to look and see. Okay, well, what else could I be doing with that time? Um, you know, I could be doing other exercises, and maybe they're going to help me out a lot more. So it's not, like I said, not necessarily the strength's going to hurt you, but the amount of time you have to invest to get that strength might be taken away from something that could be helping you even more.
0: Mm. So, you know, from, from my outsider's perspective, and obviously, please correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that, you know. Wa- with, with events, for example, like the throws, there are physical qualities that underpin performance and then there are, there are technical qualities as well that apply the force that you have from those physical qualities. And within the, the kind of Verkashansky model, they both get developed kind of at the same time. But is it right that with Bondachuk, you have separate phases within a preparation where one may dedicate more training, time and effort towards general qualities and physical abilities and then try to put them into the context of the sport with more specific training means down the line?
1: It's it's hard to say, like, with Bonnerchuk's approach, it would be this or that, and mm-hmm. I feel like... I mean, this is also my lawyer background coming in. The answer a lot of times is it's de- it depends. Like, uh, it depends on the athlete, it depends on the sport, and so on. I, I could say what we do in the hammer throw is much more of, you know, like what Charlie Francis would call a vertical integration approach. Yeah. There's not... We're doing things from A to Z throughout the year. So we're doing specific work, general work, and um, everything in between at the start of the season, in the preseason, in the competitive season, during your, you know, when you're leading up to your big meets, everything like that. There might be slight, um, you know, slight focus here on, on speed or strength, but what we're doing throughout the year there isn't a huge change in emphasis it's not like in a traditional approach where you're doing almost only general stuff in the preseason and almost only specific stuff in, in the regular season mm. yeah you know, he might use a different approach for a different sport but that's what we're we're doing in the throws and that's where it diverges a lot from the traditional approach and um you know because because we're going out there and in the pre in the in the off season we're spending the majority of our time doing technical work and throwing um mm. which is you know that 30, 40 years ago that people would not even pick up and implement until a couple months into the season so it's, it's yeah. a huge it's a huge change from the traditional approach and when Bonnerchuk first started coaching it was just a, you know revolutionary it was completely different than what was going on with other athletes
0: Well, I think there's a you know a couple of things about that is that if if you are developing physical qualities and you suddenly for example have a big jump in strength or power or speed or whatever sometimes that can alter technique and you don't want to be finding out two or three months later that you need to change you need to fundamentally change your technique so i guess the advantage of training in that manner is that you're updating your technique as you're updating physical qualities that will affect that and um you know obviously I think it was kind of stolen from Charlie Francis. He's like, if you, if you want to get really, really fast, you need to sprint and sprint and sprint and sprint. And when you start to divide the season up into those little, those chunks like that, you don't necessarily expose yourself to the volumes of, of specific work that you need to get to the, the high level.
1: Exactly. I mean, the, we're trying to be throwers. And so you, if you want to get fast, you need to sprint. If you want to throw, you need to throw. Um, that's the best thing. And and it's interesting, you know, Bo- Franz Bosch's book comes out and I, um, I see so many corollaries between his approach and Bonnerchuk 's because he, he, you talk, uh, most coaches will take the approach. Okay. We need to strengthen the muscles and then we need to figure out how to get it from the muscles to the implement or on the field or, or that you can't really separate things that easily. You know, in your mind, you can always put things into categories, but when it comes down to it, everything's bound together. Um, you know, strength you need in the throw is not just from the muscles. It's from the coordination of the muscles. It's from the the reactivity of your body. You know, all these different things that come in into play. So, if you just train things separately and think later, oh, it's going to be so easy. I'll just you know, um, you know, tape them all together and it's going to connect perfectly. It's not that easy, mm-hmm. especially in a very technical sport like um, like hammer throwing. You have to really build them up together. That reduces the imbalances you build. I mean, there's a ton of other benefits. Two, um, it reduces the imbalances. You, you can you make sure the transfer is there. You also get real-time feedback. Is this transferring? Is this not transferring? And, and you can go on and on. But that's, that's the idea behind it is, you know, The basic is if you want to throw you, and you want to throw far, you have to throw in training. That's yeah. <laughs> and if you want to be, be a good rugby player, you better get on the field a lot. If yeah. you spend you know, 75% of your time in the weight room, and 25% of your time in the field, that's probably not the best approach. And, sure. and that's how it is often in, in throwing. People, Throwers love the weight room. And a lot of people just spend most of their time in training in the weight room. So it's a, a different type of culture we have to overcome.
0: Mm. And with, um, with, with Bondachuk, is there any kind of stuff that you disagree with him on? Obviously, it's, it's going to be quite a bold move to, to disagree with a guy that's produced that many medalists. But obviously... You, you, you have coaches that don't agree on everything. Is there anything that you differ with your coach
1: slightly upon? It's a, a bit hard because his approach is so flexible. Um, I, I might look at a, a single athlete and say, this athlete needs more of this, and he might say they need more of that, but it, there's not just a Chuck program where you say everyone should do this. And so it's hard to say, I, I disagree with him on a lot of key concepts because his concepts are so flexible to the situation. Um, what I do i 'm not sure I disagree with him on but what i i you know, i always am speaking about Bonnerchuk, but what people don 't always realize is you know i there are many ways you can become a good athlete. this is not the only way a- and Bonnerchuk is probably more invested in his own way just because he knows it so well and he 's done it for so long um, for me, like you know, if I look at all these a- the coaches like um like Bondarchuk, but in in all these other sports, like we talked about Bosch's approach, Dan Pfaff, I know pretty well, Vern Gambetta. Like, you know, you you look at all these approaches and they've all produced elite athletes and they all have success. And so if I were to say, okay, Bondarchuk's way is the only way, that'd be stupid. There are many ways to produce good athletes. Um, And especially with, you know, with youth athletes. What I do with my youth athletes is not always Bondarchuk stuff because you can you can give a, a 15-year-old athlete almost any program and they're going to get better as long as you you aren't stupid about it. Mm. And with team sports too, I think, with Bonnerchuk's approach, I think there's a lot of team sports can learn from it, but it can be difficult to implement in many situations because a, a lot of his approach is about controlling the overall stress the athlete is put under. And in a team sport environment, you don't have control over that. You have your head coach that might just do something random, each every day in training and if you're trying to plan and program based on a pretty consistent approach from the strength conditioning side and from the tactical side it can be difficult so i think there are some lessons these other coaches can learn and other sports can learn um but is it the best you have to look at your sport and see what's what's going to work the best
0: well you've kind of alluded to the question that i was going to ask you next which is obviously Within that, that system of transfer of training in sports, a lot of how much one exercise transfers to another, uh, how appropriate an exercise is at a certain time within the athlete's career depends on training age and how, how are you as a coach deciding when to use what kind of exercise with a certain type of athlete? Is, is there rules of thumb that you use? Are you paying attention to data or are you just are you going by feel within the training process?
1: It, you start with some rules of thumb, so you kind of start with these generalizations, and a lot of it comes from Chuck's book on transfer training, at least for track and field. He's done a lot of analytical footwork that gives you to a, an educated guess you can start with. So when he was the Soviet national coach, he sent out surveys to, you know, Soviet athletes in track and field every event, basically – To try and figure out okay what's transferring what's not what are your test results in this exercise that exercise you know what are your competition results are they going up or down and at the end you know if you look at transfer training half the book is just numbers and it's you know running these numbers and seeing hey if your um bench press has almost no correlation to hammer throwing distance in men's discus it has a better correlation um you know and in looking at it seeing okay what exercises might transfer you know, for beginners and for intermediate and for elite athletes and these different uh, things. So that's always a good starting point. Um, but in the end, the training is, uh, it's an ongoing experiment. You can have a good starting point. You use that with your athlete, but then you're constantly testing and getting feedback. So you can see, does it work or doesn't it? Maybe with some athletes, discus thrower, you know, they, you keep working on their bench press and they're not getting better. So, Okay, for most athletes that might work, but that doesn't mean it's working for your athlete. You have to play around. Maybe incline bench would be better. Maybe some more specific exercises help. Maybe they needed to be doing jerks, um, push press, or or whatever. But you have to consistently get feedback and see what you're doing is working, Uh, whether it's working, and if it's not, change it up.
0: And do you try and provide yourself with opportunities throughout the training process to maybe experiment with with other exercises or develop certain special strength drills for your athletes to to expose yourself to those opportunities that you might find out what works for them.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a key. You have to be trying new things. I think the you know, with the internet everyone's looking for okay, what's the best exercise that I can do for this? Or what's the bex- best exercise I can do for that? That's kind of a false search. You can find good exercises, but as soon as you um first off as soon as you find something good you use it too much it's not going to be very good anymore because your your body's going to accommodate it and you're no longer going to get that adaptation from it that's one thing and the other thing is you need variety um you can't just do the same thing over and over again your body's going to accommodate you need to you need to do things that maybe are not the best just because they're different and that's where experimentation comes into play if you're going to have to change things for the sake of change Try something random, try something that might be a hunch, um, try something different just for the sake of it being different and get the feedback, see if it helps and you learn something from it. You're always learning and you're always improving the process then because you can get feedback about whether something's working or not and that'll make your future training better if you're paying attention. For sure.
0: Now with the the special strength training stuff, is there a way that you would progress that either within the athlete career or within the the season's preparation. So, for example, I've had some limited interaction with, with Dr. Yesis and you know what he puts under the umbrella term of special strength training is actually a lot of single joint stuff. It maybe doesn't have a huge degree of similarity to the competition event in terms of speed and stuff like that, but maybe that gets integrated into a more multi-joint, higher speed movement down the line. Do you have a, a kind of progression in mind when you use those, those drills with your athletes?
1: The, the main progression I have is just the overall training load. So when an athlete's younger, they're gonna have more general stuff. And when they're older, they're gonna have more specific stuff. And the reason for that is, as I said earlier, when you're a younger athlete, you can do almost anything and improve from it. So you gotta take advantage of that. If you already start with the specific stuff when an athlete is 15 or 16, um, the body's going to get used to it and then where are you going to go from there? So don't use it up too early in an athlete's career um, because you need it for the lead athletes. For the lead athletes, that's basically the best tool you have is a specific work. And if you get to that lead level and you've already kind of tapped those resources, then there's not very much, any more places to go from there. Um, You know, I I do, I guess, have a smaller progression from, you know, more simple to more complex Um, specific strength exercises as an athlete goes. So I'll incorporate larger elements of the technique into the exercise, but that's also because when the athlete's younger, they don't have that same technical foundation. So if you try and make it too complex, um, they might not be able to sustain proper technique during the whole movement. But, I mean, Bondarchuk's definition of special strength and specific strength it's combining elements of the throw or of the movement you're trying to aim for. So there really aren't many single joint exercises. He's always trying to incorporate the multi joints and, you know, recreate part of the movement so you can strengthen that coordination and strengthen those pathways. So it's not an extreme change throughout an athlete's career. It might be getting a little bit more complex. Um, for example, in the hammer I might do for beginners, more just twisting exercises, or releasing movements from a stand whereas when I lead athletes I might have them do more one turn and release In the competition will do three or four turns so it's a you know a larger part of the movement but it's still we're still focusing on okay what is our competition movement and how can we break that down
0: yeah and and is it right that once you get towards the the very kind of tip of that pyramid and you're you're starting to implement variations of the competition exercise you're you're basically looking for just small variations where either it's parts of the competition movement or the whole competition movement either sped up or, or slowed down slightly with uh, assistance or resistance?
1: Exactly. So we, um, I mean, for us, we have the advantage. I can pick up a, we have a 16-pound hammer, 7.26 kilos we throw in competition. Um, I can throw 8 kilos. I can throw 9 kilos. I can throw 10 kilos. And that, that's going to be progressively heavier and, and working more on the strength and power side. I can also throw Six kilos, five kilos, even four kilos, and then we're going to be. It's going to be more of an overspeed type of movement where we're working on the focusing more on the speed element, and the, you have a lot of variety in doing the whole complete movement. And then you step outside the ring; you can do medicine balls, you can throw kettlebells, you can throw plates, you can throw s- stones, you can do you know all kinds of different variety of things. But those are the the core elements there: either the overweight or underweight, so overspeed or underspeed, and then you have the the supplementary exercise that'll go with that.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you tend to move more to one direction or the other over speed or under speed, depending on the athlete that you have in front of you and what they're, what they are best at in training?
1: Yeah. um, So also some of Bonnachuk's data is showing like for throwing, um, the more experienced athlete is the more the, the overweight stuff helps. Um, when you're a younger athlete I mean, he hasn't gone into details about why but my assumption is okay. when you're a younger athlete and you try and pick up something really heavy you're not going to be able to hold your technique together mm-hmm. um, so you might gain strength from throwing something heavy but you also are deteriorating your technique so it's going to be a net n- no sum game there and also when you're younger you, know, you need to le- learn speed first That's, you have a certain window where you can learn speed the best and that use that while you can so for for younger athletes, it's a lot more on the, the lighter implement side. For the older athletes, they get much more transfer out of the heavier stuff. Um, it, it can be individual, like you know some athletes might have one implement, a light implement, or a slightly heavier or very heavy implement that's better. And so we always will take notes and try and figure out what works best for them, both transfer wise and also motor learning wise. That's another element you have to take into account. Um, But a lot of it's watching and seeing. Okay, where does the? For instance, if you want to see how heavy do we want to go, well, you know, watch the athletes. See where does their technique break down. If their technique starts breaking down when they throw something heavy, uh, don't use it because you're not going to be. You might be getting athletes stronger, but you're creating these these technical pathways that are not going to help them in the long run. So keep an eye on that, and keep an eye on what's what's working and what's not. Do do
0: you use a rule of thumb? with, you know, how much over or under competition loading you're going to use in those exercises?
1: For me, like we will range up to, so seven kilo hammer will go up to 10 kilo and down to about five kilos. So plus or minus two, three kilos. So it's probably 30% plus or minus. Um, uh, other coaches I know will do plus or minus 10%. um, but I also know some of Bontrager's athletes have gone up to 12 kilos, so that's you know plus five kilos. And again, it comes down to what what you can handle and what feels okay for you. Like one of the athletes I trained with, uh, Kibway Johnson is the current U.S. champion in the hammer. He'll throw up to 12 kilos in training, whereas the world record holder Bontrager coach he would only throw up to 10 kilos. Um, you know, the world record holder was obviously the, the better thrower. He threw six meters further. Um, but his technique would break down with 12 kilos so it just wasn't for him like he could he was getting the most out of it when he went up to about 10 kilos whereas um Kibway, he can go up to 12 kilos and we've done an overlay of his technique with light hammer and a heavy hammer and the 12 kilo and they look almost exactly the same so if you can replicate your technique and add a little bit more overload on go ahead and try it um see if it works. But if it starts to break down your technique, that's when you need to see, okay, that's not going to work. But for for most athletes in the hammer, it's going to be a 5 to 10 kilo range shot put. Um, it's a little bit different because you're holding a real heavy weight on your hand and um, for some athletes you can run into issues with the wrist. Like if the shot put comes off wrong, you can get a wrist injury. Uh, some people that just don't feel comfortable with that heavy of a weight. So the range tends to be a little bit smaller in the shot put, but Dylan Armstrong, who, we, who I trained with, an Olympic medalist in the shot put, he would have the same range in the shot put as I had in the hammer. So it, it's, it's a bit individual, but it's as much range as you your athletes can handle. Yeah, yeah. Again, it, it, again, it depends. There's not like a, a, a basic answer. But, yeah, you see what your athletes handle. But the the trend is, as the athletes are more experienced, we do more stuff um, on the heavier side.
0: And... Um with regard to, to Yuri Sadiq's world record what's your opinion about why that world record has stood for, for you know over 30 years now because I think this is my opinion obviously from the outside of athletics with a lot of the women's world records especially in the sprints I think one of the reasons is just simply drugs but I, I, you know my outsider's opinion again is that's not necessarily the case with the men's world records because a lot of the world records that would that would benefit most from drugs have continued to improve so what's your opinion on why that record has stood for for so long? It's been so dominant.
1: Well, I mean, I think drugs play a role in all, the, like the men's discus record uh, was German and set it in the same, I think, 86 also or 88. Um, the men's shot put record was, you know, early 90s, and that's also was an American who tested positive in his career. And so at a minimum, these records are 25, 30 years old. and. Mm that's also the time when doping was the most so i think you can look at the correlation there and there's th- that definitely plays a role on the other hand though if you're looking at at pure strength levels the the a- top athletes now are strong and if you take him in the weight room they're going to be as strong as Sadiq was or stronger and, and even at the time like sedik was not the strongest uh, you know in cleans or in squats or in snatch or anything compared to his competitors um the difference was he he was specifically strong and stronger than anyone. And I think that's, um, and technically too, none of the top throwers now have as little level of technical proficiency. So yeah, doping probably played a role, um, that it's going to make everyone throw farther, but at the same time athletes now physically are as strong and as agile and have all the characteristics they need to throw that far. They, they just aren't executing in the same way technically, um, and also, I think there's not the same the the sport in hammer throwing. There, it's just not as never. It was never a big sport, but um, there's not that same. I, I guess I'm trying to think of why, but the in the Soviet system, you had just a ton of throwers. Yeah, um, just a, a volume of throwers, and you have a greater population of throwers one of them's the chance that you have some talent in there is higher yeah. right now since the soviet union fell there's a less structured system and you just have fewer throwers um we have some other countries coming up so it's becoming a more international sport but i would i think i, I don't have data to back this up i, I think overall pers- participation numbers are down and when you have fewer athletes doing the sport the chance you're going to have the Usain bolt of hammer throwing or, or something like that is going to be smaller
0: and also i think the uh that centralised model. You know, I've, I've, I've got a note written down in front of me about um, a coach sending out surveys to other coaches in the country and expecting to get data back, and I put, this will never happen in rugby.
1: <laughs> yeah. Just because,
0: it, you know, I've, I've talked a couple of times on other podcasts about that, that the biggest weakness about Argentinian rugby over the last few years was the fact that they didn't have professional rugby. But then the biggest strength of that was that if you played for the national team, the The Union was the boss you got access to whatever data you wanted, whereas with a professional team uh, or professional setup in rugby it 's twelve individual organizations doing their own thing, keeping their own secrets, and trying to compete with one another and they don 't necessarily want to share the data
1: yeah, I mean you can say so you, you, i mean you 're in Japan now you can look at their success in the last world cup it, you know it's professionalism has helped a lot of countries because it gives a lot of resources to athletes but last year leading into the world cup one of the nice advantages they had is that um everything was centralized or not everything but they, they they could do a camp for almost six months leading in and the the coaches then the strength coach the the head coach they had they could tell the athletes what to do and they did it they didn't have to worry about what the home coach wanted what the club coach wanted uh, how it fits in with your league games all this kind of stuff it's you know they had a system and they could implement it they didn't have the most talented athletes. Uh, in the world cup but they had a system they could implement and there's a value in that and i think that um we don't have that anymore and there there's no real country that has that system in place um you know there are downsides to that system too so it's not perfect um if you don't kind of fit into the system too you also it, it kicks people out um and then there's also the doping side that goes along with that and i think it's you know great that the system is gone for that reason because it um yeah that was one of the big reasons behind all the doping and even now the legacy of that is that you know when you have a system like that it gives people the mindset you have to do it this way to succeed and one of that ways was doping and you know 30 years later you hear all the headlines from russia and not just in athletics but all the the other sports you can see the mindset there among many of the athletes and many of the coaches especially the coaches is to beat international level you have to dope and that's what we need to change in the sport
0: yeah man it's it, uh, there's uh, there's some stuff blowing up in the UK right now. It's it's interesting to to see how how much of a dent they're they're making towards that goal. Especially there, I think funding's just recently been reduced for UK anti doping as well. So uh, I'm I'm going to be uh, watching to see what happens with that one.
1: Yeah, it, it's I mean it, it's it's definitely changed the the doping in sport and it's definitely gone down. But that doesn't mean that it stopped. I mean, people are doing it in different ways, or they're doing it in lower doses, or they're, you know, they're finding ways around the rules. It's not as blatant as it was in the '70s and '80s, but it's still there because as long as you have people that think that you need to do that and that's the, that's the way to get these marks you need, it's gonna it's gonna still be in the sport.
0: Yeah. Now you mentioned um, Franz Bosch earlier. Um, I'm I'm slowly working my way through his book <laughs> it's it, it, it arrives on my desk at a time when i was quite busy um but what what are your thoughts about this kind of idea of of coordination based strength training and how how it can be applied to to what we do as coaches
1: i, th- I think it's great i think um some of these ideas have been lingering for the last 10, 20 plus years, and he's one of the first that's really put a good framework around it. I mean, do I agree with everything he has in there? Not entirely, but he he has a lot of corollaries with Bonnerchuk and he puts it into a nice general framework about why you need to do it this way or what the benefits are of doing it in certain ways. Um, you know his his whole approach is okay, like I was saying earlier, it's not just the muscles. For instance, in running, it's not just a matter of okay how strong your quad is, it's to how fast you'll run. There are, you know, efficiency of movement is a, a thing, and that's also going to be playing into the so the biomechanics of the movement, the ground reaction forces, all of these different things come into play, the elasticity of your, you know, joints and tendons and all of these. I'm not a running expert, but you know, there the complexity of movement is not just how the muscle moves equals performance. And that, that concept he, he puts into a whole philosophy in the book and a, a whole training approach. And a lot of it, ha- going back to Bonarchuk, you know, we the way we classify our exercises is from general to specific, and as we get more specific, we incorporate more of the movement. So we're working on more of the coordination side. We're in a closed movement system, so we're doing one movement over and over, and it's less complex in that regard to rugby where you have A whole stockpile of movements you have to train, and are executed in a random order at random angles throughout the whole competition. So it's a much more complex sport, much more open movement structure you're training for. I think even there, it 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 plays an even bigger role because you don't know what's coming next. So how do you prepare the body for that? Yeah. But it, it, I I like, yeah, I like the, the the approach. I mean, it's it's got a lot in common and you're looking at the specific side and you're looking and it puts a what he does a real good job of is looking at the research and explaining okay well why does this way work why do we need to do it this way
0: yeah i mean the, the the biggest note that i've written down that stood out for me you've you've kind of said it already is i put it's not just the quantity of force it's also the timing and the coordination of force and a traditional barbell based strength and conditioning program where you only work in the gym is not going to give you those other two factors and they can be just as important if not more important than than the quantity of force
1: yeah and and i think so i did a um, interview on my site last year with uh, john Pryor, who was the snc for japan rugby and he he's brought bosch in to consult uh in their lead up to the world cup and a lot of the concepts they used were based on bosch and you know he's walked me through you know there there are some videos of their training and stuff online and those can easily be taken out of context and a lot of people say this looks stupid or you know why are they doing this or that but if you sit down with with someone who knows Bosch and they explain okay what are some of the things we're trying to work on here what are we trying to to accomplish with these types of exercises it, it starts to to make sense and come into a um a good overall picture the you know what they've done to Especially, as I said, in the open movement sports. In hammer throwing, it's pretty easy. We can say, this is what we're trying to train for. Let's replicate that movement and training. Y- you guys can't do that in rugby because there's so much going on. Um, and the tendency is, if you want to take a specific strength approach, it's okay, let's take every single movement and try and replicate in training and you're going to go crazy as a coach trying to design that and at the end of the day you're not going to get it all and so what what Bosch's approach is is he says okay yes we need to be more specific but let's take a step back let's take a look at the common factors um, and and let's focus on those in the movements we're doing because those are going to have the most corollary to 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 our performance and so you know he goes through I think in the second or third chapter a lot of those, they're going to you know apply to your, your backs um, in rugby, you know, the running movement type things. So the, the, the How,
0: fluctuators versus the attractors within dominant movement patterns?
1: Exactly. I mean, so you want to look at the and find the attractors for your sport and, and focus on those. And so I think that's a, a great approach to, because you can, a lot of people, you can look at the, like I had a, a, a Conversation with American football coach last year about Ponder Chuck and how we classify exercise, and he gave me a great table where he had broken down each individual position into each of the key movements and how he would train each of the key movements. And he had, I mean, probably fifty different exercises to train. And you can't train that much in training. <laughs> you you it, need it, to pick.
0: It, it ceases to be uh, specific because you can't specialize. You know, if you specialize exactly. in twenty things, you're a generalist.
1: <laughs> and so that, that's what I like about Bosch is how he the analytical approach to how do you define what's going to be specific and how do you create that specific plan how do you move, analyze the movement find these attractors and then train the attractors
0: yeah so on onto the the selfish stuff for me uh, being a, a rugby guy i've i've tried to take you know bondachuk's ideas and and shoehorn them into the system that we've got and i'm interested in, as to how you would implement those kind of ideas within a team sport like rugby?
1: The, um, I guess there are three things that I would focus on. Like the, with Bondarchuk, his two main concepts are transfer of training and then his periodization approach. I think the periodization approach is the hardest to implement because you, you kind of need an A to Z control or at least a kind of a grasp on what, what's happening from A to Z and in a big team sport setting, that's just not realistic, um, yeah, I've talked to a few rugby coaches who have sympathetic head coaches, and they can you know, have an input about, okay, what's the on-field training going to be today? So they can kind of regulate the volume a bit more and have a bit of control over not what's happening on the field, but at least the, the volume and the outputs. But um, it, it's more difficult to implement in a team setting. But I think that there are some of these concepts you can take away, and the, the three of them I would highlight is, okay, the, the holistic nature of training, that you're not trying to – do A and hope it transfers to B, and then do B and hope it transfers to C, and C and to D. You are kind of the, the um, yeah, the, the more of the blockchain approach. I mean, a lot of people assume, okay, you can only focus on one thing at a time. But what Bonarchuk's shown is you can focus on several things at once and get them better together. And you don't have to, it's not a sacrifice to focus on everything or to do this vertical integration. Um, and if you want to be good especially with your lead athletes you need to be doing a little bit of everything at all times because you can't just neglect certain areas and then expect that they'll all you know come together and do a holistic whole at the end of the day yeah so the the, the mixed training it, it does work and i think that um it, it's something you have to keep in mind okay what are you doing for general work at this time of year what are you doing for specific work and what are you doing for on-field work keep in mind all of those things um and, and in that light You know, this is not a – with GPS technology and stuff, it's less of an issue now. But realize what you're doing on the field is also a workload. Like when we have – Big time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when we have our training plans, we prescribe how many throws we take, you know, how much special strength we do and different exercises, reps, volume, and, of course, the weight room stuff too. But um, you'd be surprised in the throwing world how many people – their training plan is just – it just says throw – and then it has their weight room and sets and intensity and <laughs> rest. And they go into all these details about what they're doing in the weight room. But when they're on the track, they just, you know, they just say, Okay, we're just gonna throw for half an hour. Yeah. And it's sometimes that way in in rugby too and in football and all these different sports, like, so okay, okay, we have an hour field session. And then we get in the weight room and we have like to the the smallest detail, what we're doing, what the angle is going to be on the squat, what the, the rest period is between this and that, and what our velocity we want to reach. We go into so much detail about what we're prescribing in there, but we forget what's going on in the field. So I think, you yeah. know, w- with some of the technologies, we're getting better at at least not necessarily planning it, but tracking and getting a better understanding of what the stress was on the field. But I think that um, if you're going to do the holistic training, and do everything together you have to realize what's going on in each category at each time
0: yeah you know so like that, we, that would... um, we the the way that we did it and it, it's developed over several years is that we, we 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 tried to it's funny you know all the things you talked about we've we've tried to do, but it was understand that we need to be we need to do a lot of stuff because obviously rugby's unpredictable we need to be okay at a lot of stuff but then Within each position, there's probably going to be one or two things that a player gets judged on in their position that that's probably what they need to specialise in. And there needs to be a flow from you know more general exercises to more specific exercises to try and increase power output um, in those movements. And there's a progression in that from throughout the athlete's career and obviously within a preparation from early prep to, to late prep and into the season and stuff. But like you said, you, know, you have to train everything because... You don't have that control over the, the yearly schedule with the rugby team. And the chances are that you are going to have to play games in the middle of preseason. And mm-hmm. I don't think you really get afforded the opportunity to say, well, do you know what? It doesn't matter if we if we get weak as fuck or you know the guys get inflexible. We do no speed because you're going to have to play games. Like our guys in Japan right now, it, yes, it is a, a 21 week uh, preseason, but we're playing games every single week from week four. So you know yeah. we, we're going to have to do some speed uh, in in the first block. We're going to modify it a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna try and keep that stuff in there.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think it's even more important to keep everything in there too. Because if you if you're focusing on just one thing and then you're still having to play games, you're going to be putting stress on your body that you're not ready for, um, and you're going to probably have a higher injury rate. So that's that's a real important thing. I like what you mentioned too, and that goes to my next point. Um, you know there there are two or three key factors position like you have to figure out what's going to transfer um what's going to work for for your, your your front guys is not going to work for your back um they have different needs and you need to tailor the training and so this is you know pretty simple concept like not everyone needs to have the same training but in a team environment it's pretty easy to get into a setting where oh i've got 30 guys here um let's just all have the guys do the same thing
0: yeah, yeah i think with the general stuff, definitely for us within the general stuff, especially in early prep, it is a it's a lot more similar. But obviously, once we get once we get to the business end of the prep or the business end of the season, it's it's very very individualized. But it's not that we give guys exactly the same exercises. We're just like, we're just looking for general stuff like you know uh, lower body, knee dominant, lower body, hip dominant stuff like that. We'll, we'll change exercises. Yeah, everyone's going to do that. that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and there's going to be some stuff that. It- everyone on the field, all 15 guys are going to get transfer from. So th- it's not a problem to give it If something's going to transfer, give it to everyone. But look at each athlete and look at each position and figure out, okay, what is the transfer? And just always keep the transfer in as your focus. You want to make sure what you're doing is going to transfer. And that's, um, yeah, that's <laughs> – and also don't work off the assumption that what transferred before is going to keep transferring. Uh, just because something worked in the past doesn't mean it's going to work in the future you know getting stronger may have gotten you from a, you know a regional level team to a national level team but um maybe something different is what you need to get from a national international level so uh, always ask is this working is this transferring um and i guess that goes to the, the last point i was going to make the the big thing you can learn from Bonnerchuk is you have to get that feedback you like every day when we're out in training we'll measure how far we're throwing that's our key source of feedback it's not sexy it's not high tech we pull out a tape measure and we measure how far we threw but then we have a data point for every day in the year and we can look back and see okay this phase worked a little bit better this phase didn't work Um, and you can learn from that you can learn what's transferring and what's not Yeah. and even more more complex from that so like there's not enough time to go into all the details about his periodization but we will basically do kind of the same thing and repeat it So we'll have a workout and we'll do that over and over. Or we'll have two workouts and we'll alternate them. And on the one hand, um, you know, it gets a very focused stimulus. But if you take a step back, one of the reasons he does that is because it limits the number of variables. So if you're doing 50 things in training and training's going really well, how do you know what in training is working? But if you have 10 things in training and you know what's going well, okay, you have a better idea – Um, It's probably this or that element or a combination of them. So, you know, keeping consistent loading, limiting the training variables, uh, having a very dense stimulus, uh, those are all things that he uses in his periodization that helps him identify what's transferring along with majoring feedback so you can get that evidence to see if it's working or not. So those are, I think, things you can look at as a a coach. Um, Try to make training simple. We have a complex sport, but if you... If you have a complex approach it's going to be impossible to crack the the puzzle so that you know the answer and the same thing what Bosch has in his book is you know the answer to complexity is often simplicity take a simple approach and then you can learn from it and tailor it as you need to
0: and a, a, a criticism that I have of of definitely weight room programs within rugby that change every single session from week to week is that it makes it quite difficult to quantify the load and you know, if you can't quantify the load, you can't necessarily measure the effect it's having and then know how to modify that based on other stresses that are going up or down within the program.
1: Exactly. I mean, if you're changing everything all the time, how do you know what's working or not? And then, then it starts to get into more of a CrossFit type approach. And <laughs> we could have a conversation about that too, but, um, yeah, I mean, you need to, you need to have some stability in the program and maybe it doesn't work, but you learn from that. Um, you learn perhaps more from the things that don't work than the things that work, and uh, that's that's important to making your training better.
0: Yeah, and you know, go, referring back to the guy that I had on the, the podcast for the last episode, Al Smith, he said the point about innovation is is that it's supposed to not work most of the time, and that, that's why innovation is so good because when it does work, it really works.
1: Yeah. Now oh, and um, even sorry, go ahead. Even when Bonderchuck. Even when Bonnerchuk finds something, and he works. He, he doesn't keep using it all the time. He keeps, you know, experimenting. It's always a constant experiment with training, and that's, I think, a good way to view of training. It's, it's an experiment. We had, um, for my own podcast, we just had our our topic last week was on testing, and I there was a good conversation I had with a guy here in Zurich a couple of weeks ago, and he asked, okay, why do we test? Um, you know, most people would say, okay, we test for performance and he said no we don't test for performance the games are the performance test the The competitions the meets those are the performance tests we don't test to know what our performance is we test to know if what we're doing is effective I think that's a good thing to think about well, when, you're, when you're trying to get this feedback and you're trying to get the tests and you're doing your sprint tests and your, your squat tests and your lifting tests I could care less about what number comes up. What I, what I care more about is, okay, is it showing that what we're doing is working or not? And then if it's working, great. If it's not working, then let's change something.
0: Yeah. And also, is it giving you information that you're going to use to modify the training process? Because exactly that, that's one of the things that annoys me most about rugby testing is that the, the testing gets done, everyone, self, everyone pats themselves on the back, but then none of that information is used in an effective manner. And you just lost yeah, the training
1: have, day. Yeah, you have, to have a plan. <laughs> yeah, or more than one training day because it's you know, you lost one training day for the the test, but then often those tests are so intense, it's going to take a couple of days to recover from. Um, yeah, I mean, so it there's you need to have a plan with what you're going to do with the test and the results.
0: Yeah. Now, um, who are you learning from at the moment and and using to develop yourself as a coach?
1: So, yeah, anyone I can talk to. <laughs> the um, yeah, One of the guys I'm learning a lot from now is uh, John Keeley. So I'm actually going to go up to Ireland here in a couple of weeks to do a seminar with him. Um, and, and as much of the reason for the seminar is to to learn from him as it is to, to present myself. Uh, he's just a very analytic approach, um, but also very practical at the same time. So he crosses that bridge between the academics and the practice really well i mean he's worked with um irish rugby more recently so he's got a a good foot in rugby but his background is also in athletics he was the head of strength conditioning for uk athletics for a while and um so we can have a common language in athletics to talk about and i also hear a lot about you know he he's very into the coordination side of things um has some similarities with Bosch, has some similarities with Bonnerchuk. Bosch is another person I've picked up a lot more over the past year. I wasn't as familiar with him before. Um, But but just trying to seek out um, a lot of these other coaches who have similar approaches but a different way to it and figure out what are the commonalities. It's a bit of a confirmation bias because I'm I'm obviously drawn to people who have something in common with my approach already, but um, it's also interesting to hear the different ways to get to that same result we're aiming for.
0: That's awesome. um, Just kind of wrapping up, uh, where where can people find out more about you?
1: So you can go to the site, uh, hammermedia.com, HMMRmedia.com. As I mentioned, we've got a couple podcasts on there. I have one with Nick Garcia and then Vern Gambetta has a podcast up there. We've got tons of articles from about a dozen different coaches now. You can go to hammermedia.com slash classrooms and find out about our seminars. We've got on May 14th, the one I'm doing in Ireland with John Keeley. Then Nick Garcia and I will be in uh, West England on June 11th to do a seminar, and we also have a webinar up there about Bondarchuk, about more about his periodization side and the transfer training, so if you're interested a little bit more of the details we talked about today, you can sign up for the, the webinar and you know have a view from wherever you are. So there's lots of information up there, lots of different resources, um, and you can also reach out to me. My contact information's up there. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. All the... Uh, Instagram all the different social media platforms and, and you know unless I'm traveling I'll get back to you pretty quickly with with your questions unless you want me to you know write a 10 page answer and it might take a little bit of time but <laughs> yeah I, I'm more than happy to be open and share share my experience I mean I guess that's how I learned is picking other people's brains so you gotta you know you gotta give and you gotta take in the sport to to get better
0: cool well listen um when when you are in the uk send me the link and um i'll happily send it out to everyone cuz uh, you know i highly recommend that people check you out and uh le- learn about all of these important training concepts but in uh, in plain english just like i think uh, <laughs> you know there are certain people out there that that take the classical coaches and and put them into plain english um i'm not sure if you're familiar with a guy named um the angry coach from elite fts I always thought that his job was to to put what James Smith said into plain English, and um, you know, for me, you're you're Bondarchuk's plain English guy.
1: Well, exactly. That's what I'm trying to to do. Also, but also for me, it's you know, that's my process of learning. So the the whole blog started was I was I learned by writing things down. Like that really helps me cement what I'm seeing, and uh, if that can help other people, then that's great. And so it also that's what I appreciate about about John Keelys. You know, he's had a recent article about stress and about the stress response and general adaptation syndrome and all those things and how the science has come a long ways and you can easily get into the scientific side of that and get people lost but what he can do is take it and say look you know stress is complex it's more than just what's going on in the field Um, let's take a step back and see kind of some of the complexities here and how we can address it as a coach and those are the coaches I'm really drawn to now are the ones that um, you know they don't try to make their approach complex for complexity's sake they try and make it approachable and um it's interesting to me but it also i think there it pulls out the greater the greater overarching truth you can take something from
0: cool thanks very much for that Martin. i really appreciate it
1: no problem anytime thank you for having me on thanks enjoy the podcast so it's good to <laughs> good to contribute and also be part of it
0: thanks man it's been awesome to have you